Hello, my name is Josh Gilliland, and welcome to another session of The Legal Geeks. Today, Je Jessica and I will be discussing the great, the century-old John Carter of Mars series. So we're going to be saluting a century of science fiction today. Fiction and Jessica, this is this is one of your early science fiction loves. So why don't you tell the world a little bit about the the author of John Carter of Mars? The author of John Carter of Mars, who's actually mentioned in the movie, or actually is a character in the movie, but I don't think a lot of people realize this, is Edgar Rice Burroughs, uh, and he is he and uh, yeah. He's probably one of the earliest authors that I fell in love with. I read his Tarzan series first. That's probably what he's best known for. Is he also created a century ago the character yep. of Tarzan, uh, yep. and uh, obviously turned that into you know an industry that everyone knows today. Yep. After he did Tarzan, well, he actually started also a century ago. He wrote a piece. And he was you know had been in a series of low end jobs and had plenty of time to read the pulp fiction magazines of the day. And he wasn't that impressed with the writing in those magazines and thought he could write as well as any of them. And so a century ago, he did. He published his first piece in one of them called Under the Moon of Mars, which was the inspiration for what he referred to and I refer to as the Barsoom series. Barsoom was his fictional name for Mars. And he wrote a series of books, starting with A Princess of Mars, uh, that was published in 1917. And A Princess of Mars, the plot of that is basically what they turned into the movie that Disney released this year called John Carter. And we'll talk more about the movie in a few minutes, but let's let's look at, you know, first off, a little about the historical context. This was released in 1912, and there's a lot of things were happening then in the world. We were having the progressive era in the United States with, you know, the mindset that we could fix things and government could be used for a you know, force of good that, that Herbert Crowley, you know, wrote about that inspired Theodore Roosevelt to run for president again um, in 1912. And a bunch of other things took place as well. You start seeing the growing of uh, the Boy Scouts are growing in both the United States and in England. Sea Scout starts as well in, in 1912 in the United States. And there's a lot of good stuff happening in the world in 1912. Things change when war comes, but you know at that point in time, lots of good things are happening. So and let's you know, look at the... Also, sorry, I have to jump in. There's also a lot of science exploration at that time, yep. obviously. Modern science was beginning. And in fact, Edgar Rice Burroughs was inspired uh, to create this uh, Barsoom series and these creatures on Mars by a scientist who was claiming that there were canals on Mars and that those canals were That's evidence right. of uh, that people or something had lived on Mars at a time. Obviously, that scientist was later disproven, but that scientific idea was part of the inspiration for the Barsoom series. And also, let's see what curiosity finds when we land on Mars again. And if there, yeah, because you know there there there's something there, and uh, whether or not it's it's a micro you know microbe or not, we'll, we'll see. But as as just as Jules Verne had huge impact on on his time and that that we still feel today you know many over a century later what influences did the John Carter of Mars series have on science and and literature that we see today Edgar Rice Burroughs is obviously, we talked about, you know, with Jules Verne, one of the earliest kind to um, kick off modern science fiction as we know it. And in fact, I think the Barsoom series and this idea of traveling to another planet where you encounter people and creatures and monsters um, that aren't here on this planet and having the adventures there is obviously spurred an entire um, 
genre basically i mean you can serenity and firefly from joss whedon obviously kind of the cowboy and the adventurer explorer yep. um he did obviously inspire robert heinlein one of my other favorite sci-fi authors he inspired ray bradbury so he had a a huge influence on the idea of what science fiction could be. He also inspired scientists. Uh, Carl Sagan and I share in common a love for Deja <laughs> Thoris, John Carter, and Tars Tarkas. I didn't do much with that love besides become a legal geek, where Carl Sagan took that idea that, you know, there could be life out there among the stars, and he obviously spent a lifetime studying that. So uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs and the Barsoom series had a large influence on society today that I don't think a lot of people realize. Agreed, and we can see that as it, as the story of John Carter of Mars is you know echoes in different characters. Uh, could you highlight some of those characters that that you know follow the, some of the same character traits of John Carter? Well, John Carter was known for being brave, very principled. You know, always willing to help out somebody um, who's fighting unbelievable odds. He also obviously goes to other, you know, planets and falls in love with the beautiful, wonderful princess. So you could argue that he's like Captain Kirk, uh, you know, a little bit like Superman, where again, very brave, very principled, always does the right thing. So uh, I think there are probably a lot of the romantic leads in science fiction and adventure movies that take uh, some inspiration from John Carter. I, I think the Superna Superman connection is fairly substantial when you look at, you know, leaping tall buildings in a single bound, which That's was... True. You know, and, and what's what's John Carter doing on Mars because of the different gravity, and you know, and we look at the Superman character and the, and the the original heritage there, you know, from going from a planet with a red star and I guess higher gravity potentially, to to one with you know a yellow star, and you know the energy from the star giving him his abilities and thus able to do all those magnificent things. You can see the parallels with John Carter, which, again, you know, that was 1912. Yeah. And in, in 1917 with your first book. So, again, very, very forward thinking because, you know, I, I don't think there was anything else quite like that yeah. at the beginning of the 20th century. And, again, maybe, maybe there was someplace, but uh, it's a century standing. Uh, now, I don't think people realize how prolific uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs was was how many uh john carter books did he write and how many tarzan ones for that matter if if you know i don't know he wrote a lot of tarzan books i know and in fact he then decided that he wanted to he was one of also the early marketing geniuses yeah. he wanted to expand tarzan in particular because that was an instant sensation into comic strips and uh, you know movies yeah. and other merchandising ideas right. he was actually heavily advised against doing any of that and did it obviously <laughs> to huge success so he didn't listen to the doubters. But uh, John Carter, the Barsoom series, had 12, uh, 12 books in the series, I think. And then his son actually wrote some sort of follow-up that I think was the only one actually called John Carter of Mars. But the Barsoom series had 12. He also wrote about traveling to Venus. Uh, like Jules Verne, he was interested with traveling to the center of the Earth. So he had explorers who did that as well. He also did westerns and romance novels. So he was very prolific. And not everyone realizes that today. When you look at today's authors, you know, it's like, I'll go crank out 12 books about a character and the different adventures. Uh, you, you see that some, you know. I mean, like, again, you get the Tom Clancy's and the Stephen Kuntz who, who do, you know, the techno war novel types that get presidents to sit down and go, wow, that's impressive. Uh, 
but you know, they're, they're a very, it's a very exclusive club yeah. of of authors who can be that prolific, and that's truly amazing. Yeah. So, since you you're, you're fluent in all the books, and you probably speak a little Martian, could you tell us the premise of the story uh, from from A Princess of Mars and how that then uh, evolves in, in the following books? The idea of A Princess of Mars is that John Carter is a Civil War vet who is exploring for gold, uh, and he ends up basically in this magical cave. They were trying to escape from some hostile, he and his partner were trying to escape from hostile Native Americans, and he ends up actually frozen in this cave and then is magically transported to Mars, and he wakes up um, naked. Most of the people on Mars, it's a hot planet, so they actually had um, many more clothes in the movies than they do in the books. But he ends up there on Mars. He does fall in first with the green men of Mars. And at first he's a prisoner. But um, as you alluded to before, and as you can tell from the movies, he's already a great warrior, very strong, very agile. But with the lesser gravity of Mars, he's also even stronger and can jump and bounce and do all these things. So while he originally starts off as a prisoner, he basically quickly becomes actually a warrior in um, one of the, the tribes of the green men of Mars. And then uh, what the idea behind the Barson series is that Mars is a dying planet and that it's filled with many different races and species. Uh, we're basically battling over those, you know, remaining resources. And, of course, the idea, too, Edgar Rice Burroughs was obviously inspired by the, uh, the god of uh, the Roman Greco, the Greco-Roman god, Mars, the warrior god. And uh, so they're all very warlike. And John Carter, again, while he won't ever start a fight and he doesn't want to cause unnecessary death, is obviously very good in a war and is always willing to battle for what he thinks is right. So I'm um, quickly impressed and actually starts to bring together many of the different groups of Mars. So that's a basic idea. Also with the books, there's telepathy between all the Martians as, as part of their forms of communication. And could, could you speak a little to that and, and how that was worked into the story? Well, one of the ideas is that everyone on Mars has to tell the truth all the time. Um, in part because they do have this telepathy and they can share thoughts, so it's very hard to lie. John Carter, however, again, the idea is that he's an Earth man, so it's different somehow. Well, he can read other people's thoughts, even when they try to block them. Nobody can read his thoughts. And so one of the things that he actually can do, which is pointed on the book, is not always a bad thing, is when necessary, he can actually lie which does come in handy and actually can save people. But, um, yes, in fact, in the books, he uses that ability to read minds, even when others try to block him from reading their minds. He uses it both to save his own skin, and ultimately, at the end of the Princess of Mars, he uses that ability to um, restart a generator that basically provides the atmosphere for Mars. And so um, he does use his powers with the telepathy throughout the books. But it's not as emphasized, of course, as his great warrior-like abilities. Fascinating. Now, what were some of the main differences between the film and, and, and the original material? Uh, there were obviously the plot was different. The Therns were like the bad guys in this movie. There are Therns in the Barsoom series, but they're really just another race of Martian people, I guess. Um, and so they don't have all the special powers that they have in the movie. I didn't actually mind that difference, however, because I did like the idea that they were going to set up the Therns as kind of the big bad that would be the ongoing, you know, opponent, the ongoing evil to John Carter. So I thought that could have worked well in the movie. So I was not opposed to that change. The changes I didn't like is how they weakened some of the characters. Uh, yeah. Tardos Moores in particular, Deja Thoris's father, in both the book and the movie, Saab Thon, who's the invading big bad, wants to marry Deja Thoris. 
in the movie, Tardos Morse agrees to the marriage to save uh, his people of the city-state of Helium. In the book, again, these are all very honorable, very principled people who would rather die than face dishonor. He is not willing to force his daughter to marry Sabthan, and in fact, the people of Helium support him in that. So the fact that he kind of basically did take the cowardly way out in the movie was disappointing. And I felt that way about John Carter, too, and I do think that was a a big misstep. For some reason, they decided that they had to give John Carter this tragic backstory in the movie that he doesn't have in the books, where he has a child and a wife that are tragically killed. So he becomes very bitter, um, very just greedy, I guess, and self-interested and selfish. And so in the movies, even after he's transported to Mars, for a while there, he isn't as admirable and brave and pure uh -huh. as he is in the books. And so I thought that was a shame that they had to water him down with what I thought was an unnecessary, tragic backstory that just took away part of what I loved about John Carter, which is how brave and principled he was and how he was never selfish and how he was always there to help other people. Um, so I thought that was a disappointment that they'd made that change. Yeah. You know, it's I've noticed with some of the comic book movies and the other sci-fi movies that if you stay close to the source material, you know, the movie tends to be more successful. Yeah. And when you do a ra radical course change, that tends to upset people. Especially when and, you change the main character. Yeah, and so there there are things that you can change for consistency purposes, like with the you know Spider-Man movies in the early two thousands, you know. Tobey Maguire, you know, was able to shoot webs out of, of himself, and that was, like, the only big change. You know, they, they didn't, you know, he didn't build the web slingers himself. Right. And uh, they did change that with the, the 2012 movie. Oh. But, um, you know, again, just, just one of those differences. And, uh, but that was the only major difference. Uh, sometimes it works. You know, the original X-Men movie, you know, where they had uniforms instead of everyone in, in a, you know, yellow costumes, that sort of thing, that worked. But when you, you know, kind of violate the main character, that's a problem, you know, and that, that but on the flip side, you know, when you have source material that's a century old, you know, that's kind of established precedent at that point. Uh, there, there, there are a lot of people out there who've read it, so... Uh, yeah, th th those are those were some mild deviations between them, but uh, overall, I do think uh, I thought the movie had more heart than the you know Star Wars prequels, and <laughs> and pretty low standard, but I would agree. <laughs> yeah, it's more heart, more heart, and um, and, and so it's it's heartbreaking that it didn't do better. And I I hold you know I think it was a victim of bad marketing. Uh, taking the name of Mars out of it uh, was a mistake, and they didn't highlight that this this was you know the story a century ago that launched science fiction as we know it. Yeah, I think uh, I actually ended up not seeing it. I was originally very excited to see the movie in the theaters, and then both between obviously the bad reviews and then also the trailers had made it look like it was a lot different. I actually took away the impression that it was going to be very different from the books, and I wasn't too keen mm. on that. I actually ended up being both pleasantly surprised by how true to a lot of the ideas in the book it was. And I guess it's also the beauty of low expectations. When I finally did watch the DVD, I wasn't expecting much. So I was pleasantly surprised by, um, by the movie itself. And even Taylor Kitsch. At first, I had not been keen on the idea of him as John Carter. I thought he did a capable job, not a brilliant job as John Carter. But I thought he was not uh, horribly cast in that role. So I think poor Taylor Kitsch has just had a rough year that he doesn't really deserve. No, no, it's, 
you know, when you're a victim of either bad writing, as in the case of Battleship, where you know, they just needed one rewrite probably, and that could have tightened up that film. Because uh, I could pr perfectly have no problem believing a Battleship could give an alien spaceship a broadside. The eight the eight-year-old in me wanted to see that happen. It, it, you know, that was a good thing. But the beginning, you know, was horribly written with him trying to steal a chicken burrito from a convenience store, and just, just poorly done. And no one, no one would, you know, get be able to join the military, being that big of a screw up, and be a lieutenant in, in charge of, you know, the, you know, be the weapons officer on a destroyer. That, that seemed highly unrealistic. And so it's bad when... That's the unrealistic part of that movie. Yeah, and, that, and that's, that's, that's the ironic part. It's like, I can believe the alien invasion traveling faster, faster than the speed of light than I could the rank advancement of a guy who got in trouble for stealing a chicken burrito and had to join the Navy. That's the part I can't believe. And that wasn't his fault. That was bad writing. And... In, in the case of John Carter, it was horrible marketing, and so it's because uh, it, I think it is a good story. I hope it does well, you know, in, on DVD and Blu-ray and, and Netflix and iTunes. And I really, and I was dedicated to Steve Jobs, and I, I really think that uh, you know Andrew Stanton is, is a great director, and I hope he gets to do more. I do too, and I hope Portato Kitch gets more opportunities. So I do, too. I do too. He got a bad rap, so. He did. So with that, that will conclude today's recording, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll keep talking about all things geeky in the law, uh, you know, in the coming weeks. So, uh, but thank you everyone for your time, and Jessica, thank you for your expert knowledge. Thank you. Uh, bye bye. And bye. You take care now. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>